Pulp MX Network Production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Welcome, everybody, to the Pulp Hockey Podcast. Appreciate you listening. Subscribe on iTunes, get it on Stitcher, and, of course, get it on the pulphockey.com website. We appreciate it. Two under, the best men's underwear out there, the number two UNDR, Ferraro 20. Save you 20% on that, and uh, we appreciate the the business that you guys have been giving them. Check them out. A lot of NHL guys are wearing two under, and maybe you should, too. And uh, Amazon banner on pulphockey.com. If you like the podcast, click on the Amazon banner on pulphockey.com. Make a purchase, we get a small slice of that. So thanks, everybody, for uh, for chipping in and listening and the nice tweets and downloads and everything else. With me on the line, a, uh, a guy that is uh, 16 years in the NHL, over 1,000 games, a Stanley Cup champion. As a diehard Maple Leaf fan that I am, uh, he provided me with some great memories. For his time with Toronto, he's in his 10th season as the Black Chicago Blackhawks color man, NBC Sports also. Eddie O, Eddie Olchuk, thanks for doing this, man. Um, thanks a lot, Steve. Thanks for having me, and uh, Happy New Year, and uh, yeah. hope, you're, uh, hope everything's going well for you. Yeah, man. Uh, you are a busy guy. There's no doubt. You know, hockey season's <laughs> in full swing. Um, but, right, but, but never mind hockey. i got to ask you this. This is one of the things that I've always wondered. Um, I listen to you on different uh, shows and podcasts and everything else, and you are a huge horse racing guy. Yeah. And so... You know, my job every every week is I cover this motorcycle racing, and that's my job, and I love uh-huh. it. Don't get me wrong, but my passion is hockey, and sure. that's why I started this podcast, and I'm able to talk to guys like you and Ferraro and everything else. So I imagine for you, like hockey's your job, and you love it, but right. your passion is horse racing, and I know nothing about horse racing besides that the horse won the Triple Crown for the first time. <laughs> you know, that was a huge deal. What yeah. got you into horse racing, and why do you love it so much? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think it, it certainly it, it it rivals right up there uh, with with my love and passion for hockey that I've had, you know, pretty much my whole life, Steve. And and I think what horse racing has been able to do for me as a horse player and as a horse owner, and now somebody that has uh, been a part of the horse racing team at NBC over the course of the last couple of years, it's. It's 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 almost that uh, you know that release that mm-hmm. uh, that uh, you know that going away from the everyday grind of, of of doing what I do from September until the end of June. So for me, it's always been a release. Uh, I've never been a guy to you know I've never drank in my life, uh, never partaken in drugs, and my release has always been uh, to uh, go to the track and play the ponies and and, wow. and get a little action that way. So I, I it started as a young kid growing up in Chicago mm-hmm. and uh a buddy of mine that I played hockey with his dad was a horse player and a handicapper and you know I went to the track for the first time I think when I was 13 or 14 and oh, just wow. you know, okay. kind of was taken in and once I turned pro in, in 1984 with the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, Denny Savard has uh, always been a horse owner and a horse player, and mm-hmm. we kind of hit it off from there, and, and the rest is history. So, I mean, for me, it's it's branched out to much bigger things besides just playing the horses, like I said, horse ownership yeah. and, and meeting a lot of people. But then 
also uh, my boss at NBC, Sam Flood, giving me the opportunity to uh, to work. NBC's horse racing coverage over the course of the last couple of years. This was my first Triple Crown uh, opportunity, and mm-hmm. what do you know? As you mentioned, Steve, we had a Triple Crown winner for the first time in yeah. 37 years. So it's it's been uh, an incredible run, and uh, I've always enjoyed the game. And I, I've always felt that hockey and horse racing have had the same challenges, uh, you know, outside to the you know mm-hmm. to maybe to the mainstream media and to entertainment dollars and i mean it's hard but i think that what makes both games go are are really the people behind the scenes that really help drive Mm -hmm. both games and get it on tv and get it to the track so for me it's always been a a a great love and uh, now i've you know i've I've worked myself into it being a part of my uh work life and uh, i love every second of it crazy to me that you love it so much and it's i don't know like to me i watch it. i just don't understand it i don't get it but yeah. that's awesome you know yeah. yeah it's a passion let me ask you this uh i cover motorcycle racing for a living yeah. and so uh, the motorcycle is a horse and the jockey is the dirt sure. bike rider okay so um the the in all my sport that i cover for a living the rider is everything uh, a, a great rider can take a sure. so-so bike and win um the jockeys, I'm guessing, like, does, do, do the jockeys even matter? Oh, big time. Oh, okay, so there's skills oh, without, to that. Without okay. question. I, right. I think that there is there is that that symmetry. There is that understanding when and know how much, you know, how much horse you have under you, literally. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, to right. To be able to, <laughs> to push the button and to know where a horse likes to be, to know how a horse is feeling and how comfortable they are i mean look i mean these guys are riding you know 300 and you know probably 40 days a year and wow okay they're riding you know the real good guys are probably riding anywhere between you know five to seven races a day so do the math i mean they're you know wow. and, and, and a lot of these horses obviously are repeat mm-hmm. rides but they, it does it does make a difference uh some guys just have an incredible feel it's like a hockey player in the high slot there's a guy that gets it in the high slot with nobody in between him and the goaltender and you know you got a pretty good chance of raising your arms if you're cheering for that guy now there are other guys that you know that there's a pretty good chance it's going to end up right in the midsection or it's going to miss the net. So it's, <laughs> right. it's the same with, you know, it's the same with riders and it's the same with horses that just love to finish second or third or jockeys that just can't seem to really? get to huh? the next level. Okay. So, I mean, for me, I think it's a combination. I mean, I, I do believe at the end of the day, it does come down to the animal, mm-hmm. but I really believe is that a, a, a jockey can help a horse improve uh, in you know, in in a lot of different ways, right. and, and and to me that there is no question that the, a jockey is a it, it has a real strong hold on on what the hell goes on in a horse race. Interesting. Yeah. See, I'm total layman. It just looks like they're whipping them. I have no yeah. idea. Right. So no, not yeah. until the last. You know, not until the last. Uh, okay. You know, quarter mile, or depending on when the horse. You know, when the jockey maybe wants a little bit of a response, and mm-hmm. you know, look. I mean, in a lot of times, you know, the, the jocks are showing when the horses the whip some horses don't like it and okay. some seem to you know uh give a little bit more is is when they
they do go to the whip. Now there are sanctions in certain jurisdictions uh-huh. that, uh, and this is why I think horse racing needs a commissioner. Is that some places allow uh, a certain amount of uh, taps and whips down the lane. Some feel that you know there's there's only a certain amount that you could have. Sometimes it's excessive. They're watched. They're suspended. They're uh-huh. given days. So uh, for me, uh, you want to take care of the animal first and foremost, and uh, it is a game. It is gambling, and uh, it's uh, like I said, for me, it's something that uh, I thoroughly enjoy and believe in the game, and hope more people will follow it. Just not on the first Saturday in May. Yeah, well, and we'll get to hockey right away. Last question for horse racing, though. I sure. the, the horse that won last year. What was his name? Yeah, American Pharaoh. Okay, American Pharaoh. Yeah. I believe, and again, you can correct me. I love the fact. Okay, so there's million, So this thing wins the Triple Crown, uh-huh. and the millions of dollars at stake for a stud fee. You know, they're gonna retire it, but they still ran it right. They ran mm-hmm. it again, and I think that was really cool. Um, you just didn't see that because they literally had so much money at stake, the owners of the horse and everything. I thought that was pretty cool. Well, I mean, let, let's not forget. I mean, there's insurance involved. Oh, okay, so, okay, I mean, all right. You know, if something, you know, if something, God forbid, would have happened, I mean, they would have. They you know, were insured. They okay, been, they would have been covered. You know, mortality and whatever. But mm-hmm. you know, I think that when you look at. You know the the deal that the Zayat family signed before the horse actually won the Triple Crown. Um, you know it, it was a good deal. Uh, then the horse ends up winning the Triple Crown, and it ends up being an incredible yeah. uh, deal for the farm that you know that bought the rights to American Pharaoh. And you know at the end of the day, I mean this horse is going to bring back to the farm. You know, maybe somewhere in that twenty to twenty-five million dollars a year range because of oh, a year, so, yeah. a year. Oh, smokes! Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Um. All right, let's go to hockey. Uh, I love it that you love it so much, though. Like I said, I know nothing about it, but I always hear these interviews with you, and I've seen you on NBC Sports, and it's cool. You're like a, a dual threat guy. You can call horse well, racing as well. I, as I, yeah, I don't, I don't know about, uh, <laughs> I don't know about the threat, but okay. like I said, I mean, I don't know people. I don't know people don't realize this, uh, Steve, but actually, during uh, in '94 when I was with the Rangers mm-hmm. and won the Stanley Cup, and then the next fall, so the fall of '94 after mm-hmm. we won the Stanley Cup, we went to training camp. And all of a sudden, then there was a work stoppage in the National Hockey League. So from October 1st until, I think, the middle of January, there was no NHL hockey. So the people at the Meadowlands Racetrack, who are big Ranger fans, mm-hmm. um, they they got a hold of me because I had brought the Stanley Cup to the Meadowlands and sure. to Belmont to celebrate with the Stanley Cup. They said, hey, you know, you're a horse guy. You know, why don't you come to the Meadowlands? Why don't you work as our... Is one of our handicappers on our on our race program at the Meadowlands in uh, East Rutherford, New Jersey, and, yeah, yeah. and worked the thoroughbred. So actually, I got my start in television during the work stoppage of the '94 hockey season. I worked three and a half months at the Meadowlands racetrack doing handicapping and doing their race <laughs> recap show. And yeah, That's so that hilarious. was my, actually my introduction to television. And I've kind of come full circle. But like I said, I couldn't be more thankful <laughs> for the opportunity I've gotten from. The people at NBC Sports, right. and like I said, my boss, my my boss, it's it, uh, my boss at NBC, Sam Flood, for trusting me and giving me a chance. And I work with some incredible people uh, day in and day out, not only in the hockey coverage but on the sure. horse racing as well. And uh, develop great relationships, and uh, they've treated me extremely well. And I'm still trying to find my, uh, you know, find my niche and uh, mm-hmm. and, and figure out, you know, where I'm kind of going to fit in moving forward. And uh, Rob Hyland, our 
our producer of most of our horse racing uh, shows has uh, really helped me along. So it's just been a, a great experience doing the horse racing. Did you, speaking of Winnipeg, obviously I born and raised there. You played there, and we'll get to that in a mm-hmm. second. Um, Assiniboine Downs, did you go there? Did, did you, oh, yeah. I, oh, used okay. to, uh, I think I had a, a permanent seat and table there at, uh, at <laughs> okay. the Downs. And uh, my buddy, uh, Double D, Darren Dunn, who is still in charge there at oh, uh, wow. Addison okay. down. So yeah, I mean, I, oh yeah, I was, uh, I was a local and, uh, I know there was the inside joke is that when, uh, when I got, when I left town both times, uh, the handle at the track went down quite a bit <laughs> since, uh, since I left. So, but I always enjoy going back there and, uh, had a great time in Winnipeg, both on and off the ice. And, oh, oh yeah, but yeah, any yeah. place that I, any place that I played, I always <laughs> spent, the track. Uh, spent some time at the track for sure. All right, let's get into hockey here. Um, as I said, uh, 10 years of Hawks color. Uh, you did a few years of Pittsburgh color also before you uh, mm-hmm. you coached there. But let's talk real quickly. Chicago, second overall in the league. Joel Quinville just passes Al Arbor for second most uh, wins. Uh, Patrick Kane right now, Hart Trophy, I would think, yeah. is on lock no for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I listen, you know, me as a Leaf fan, uh, I live in Vegas here. I listen to this Leafs lunch. You've been on it, uh, Noodles yeah. and, 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 and Jeff O'Neill. And they talk about how awesome it would be to be on Hawks lunch every day because things are rolling and they've been rolling. And um, it's just another year for, for, for the Blackhawks right now that they look uh, like they're going to be one of the guys. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've been on a, you know, a real incredible role here over the course of, you know, I guess the last six or seven years, Steve, and, Mm -hmm. you know, let take people back prior to that i mean this team was irrelevant right uh, this team was not even on the radar in the city of chicago and you could you know you could buy sections of tickets uh <laughs> in the late 90s uh you know yep. early you know early 2000s and you know even into you know maybe 07 08 but for me, um, the leadership at the top with Rocky Wirtz taking over for his late father and then going out and hiring John McDonough away from the Chicago Cubs and the rest is history. And, you know, they hit rock bottom maybe a couple of times and they allowed uh, John McDonough to run the team and to sell this team 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. And you get a couple of really good draft picks. And, I, and I'm not just talking Taves and Kane. I'm right, talking right. guys like Seabrook and Keith and Chalmerson. And, yep. you know, I mean, you need you need to draft. And, look, whether it's Toronto or Winnipeg or Pittsburgh, it's, I mean, you need to draft and draft well. It's easy to draft those guys in the first round. Okay, it mm-hmm. is. I mean, that that's – but if you look at it and you look at, look at the success of teams – over the course of the last 20 years, if you look at the drafts that they've had, you, you, you have to find guys in your second, third, fourth, fifth rounds where guys end up being impactful players. And Chicago has been able to do that. They've, they've become relevant again. They've won three championships in six or seven years, whatever the number is. And, yeah. you know, they got off to a roller coasterish type of start this year, but mm-hmm. now they're on a roll and, uh, you know, they're just, you know, a lot of positive things going. But, you know, like you mentioned Toronto, and I was there the other night when Chicago mm-hmm. was there to take on the Leafs. And, you know, they got some good building blocks there. And obviously with Mr. Lamarillo, Lou Lamarillo, they're the general manager, and you bring in Mike Babcock. I mean, you got those positions, you know, with a lot of experience. And 
you know, are rock solid, but I mean, they, you know, they're still a ways away from, yeah. you know, I mean, I think getting into the playoffs, let alone winning a Stanley <laughs> cup. And, you know, it's, you've got to build from within, you've got to draft extremely well, and uh, there has to be some patience and it's easy to uh, abort a plan. Mm-hmm. But when you're, you know, when you're starting, you know, pretty much from the bare cupboard, you got to be able to uh, stay the course and you got to trust your, amateur scouts and your you know your pro scouts that maybe you're bringing in as free agents but for the Blackhawks they've gotten great goaltending this year Corey Crawford to me has worked himself into being a top five goaltender in the National Hockey League uh I'm really surprised I understand the rules for the all-star game Steve but yeah, yeah it's uh, tough, Corey right? Crawford should be an all-star the numbers don't lie uh you know he's been better than Devin Dubnik he's been better than Pecorine but the way that it works out is that Corey Crawford's not going to be going, but the Hawks have gotten great goaltending. Uh, Patrick Kane, as I said, MVP of the National Hockey League, without question. The uh, the free agent signing of Artemi Panarin, mm-hmm. and now Taves and Hulsa have started to heat up, which they were off to you know slow starts, so to speak. Uh, and the Blackhawks are a team that certainly looks like they're working themselves into another uh, you know Stanley Cup run and looking to be the first team since the late 90s in the Detroit Red Wings to win back-to-back Stanley Cups. You know, I don't always agree with everything Gary Bettman says, and certainly I do want to – I like to see a team in Quebec and Winnipeg's back and everything else. But Chicago is case number A for – you know, when people talk about Carolina and Florida sure. and Phoenix, when, when, when Gary says – if you win, they will come. Chicago yep. is case A. You brought it up. You were there at the end. Uh, you went back the final year when they were kind of irrelevant. Um, mm-hmm. You were there. You started there when they were big. It's true. You win. You draft. You have a good organization. Fans come back. Uh, you know, Gary's got a point, I think, when he says talks about Phoenix and Florida and all that, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, no, it is. And look, and, and sometimes we lose fact of it and mm-hmm. and I think it's important that it's it's you know you kind of come back to reality every once in a while Steve is that look it is entertainment like the National Hockey League is a form of entertainment and winning certainly helps drive the people to the entertainment but you got to entertain the fans and that's not only the product on the ice but the in-game experience and you know people spend a lot of their I mean people spend a lot of their hard-earned money to be entertained Mm -hmm. and to go to sporting events. And sometimes I think we lose sight of just the winning and losing, but it is about entertainment. And look, I was in Pittsburgh uh, after I worked with the great Mike Lang for three years when I retired and Mm -hmm. uh, doing TV in the Berg. And then I got the opportunity to coach and look, I'm part of my job description when I got the job in Pittsburgh was to sell hope. Yeah. was to to be the spokesperson and to tell people where we were, where we are, and where we were trying to get to. And, you know, look, you don't divulge all of your plan, but, you know, we gave them enough to chew on and say, look, this is what we're trying to do, and we're going to blow it up, and we're going to hit rock bottom, and we're going to plan for the draft, and within five years we think we'll be challenging for a Stanley Cup. Well, I wasn't there to see it out, but that's exactly, <laughs> you know, that's exactly yeah. what happened, and yeah. that's that's the way that it goes. So I think that, to your point, of what the commissioner has said and, and stated that, you know, look, if you win, the entertainment dollar will be will come your way, mm-hmm. and it's just not about the product on the ice. And I think that teams are understanding that now. I will say this: is that with the Blackhawks is the perfect example is that they spend a lot of money 
on the on the on the team. Like they, yeah. and not I'm not talking salaries. I'm just talking yeah, that yeah. they they spend a lot of money to promote the brand. Mm-hmm. And you know there is that old saying, right? And you got to spend to make. Mm-hmm. And the Blackhawks have done that. And if you look at the Wirtz family in general, with how successful they've been away from and in all their businesses that they have, they's all they've always spent money to to make money. And the Blackhawks. You know, are uh, are relevant again in the National Hockey League without question, and they're relevant again in the city of Chicago. No doubt, Patrick Kane obviously is under investigation by the police in Buffalo for uh-huh. um, preseason thing, but um, he was cleared of all that. But one of the things that came out of that, and I don't know if there's any positives to come out of a situation like that, but let's maybe there's this one. I read something where he said because of all that, he didn't skate much as he normally uh-huh. did. Um, maybe he should not skate more. Right? Like, he's phenomenal. Yeah. Well, I think what happened on that particular situation was is that, I mean, he was looking after what he needed to. His priorities mm-hmm. were figure out, you know, what he was, you <laughs> right. know, what was going on in his personal life, and hockey was secondary. And I think that he realized that. But you're right. He was away from, he was away from hockey for six or seven weeks, and, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And once that, you know, once there, once he was at a place where, uh, he was comfortable with getting back into playing and skating. That's what he did. So, you know, for him, I mean, it, it, you know, he started the year and coming to training camp, and you know, nobody knew what was going to happen moving forward with the legalities off the ice. But once that, you know, once everything got cleared, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it's just people have just been talking about hockey, and and uh, you know, he let the, you know, he let the legal process, you know, work its way through, and and uh, for him. Um, you know, there was no issues and no charges, and hopefully he can learn from the position that he put himself in and and move forward. And as far as the hockey part of it, I mean, he has just been he's been lights out. I mean, he has been dominant. He's made other players better. I mean, the chemistry yeah. he has with Artemi Panarin is who's leading all rookie scorers right now in the National Hockey League. Steve, I mean, yeah. the, the chemistry that they have is is pretty incredible, and they've carried this team for pretty much all season long. So for him, it's been. Uh, I'm sure a roller coasterish type of season, uh, but as far as the hockey part of it, I mean he's been on the top of that uh, on the top of that ride because there haven't been many players better for longer yeah. uh, this season than Patrick Kane. Has he told you that maybe being off skates has helped him? Um, fresher, stay fresher, be a little uh, bit more. Hungry? I mean, not 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 okay. not not saying uh, that directly. I mean, just yeah, when yeah. he divulged that, you know, that he wasn't on the ice a lot and, and right. taking care of what he needed to do. I mean, I, you know, he's a different guy. You could, look at, yeah. you could look at it now and go, yeah, you know, well, well maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe that is the protocol for a guy like Patrick Kane is to, yeah. you know, get away from it for a while and not skate and, you know, right, not right. do what he was doing. But um, look, he's a hockey player and creature of habit and having gone through some uh, lucky enough they've gone through some really good season and some good streaks in the National Hockey League that, you know, whatever you're doing, you're going to continue to do it, right? I mean, that's just the way that it is. It's like, hey, if I'm at the track and I'm standing in a certain spot and the horses keep coming in the way I want them, I'm not going from that spot. So don't bother me. Don't talk to me. I'm not going to get something to eat. I'm staying right there. And uh, you want to call it a routine? Okay. Uh, But for me, uh, for Patrick Kane, um, you know, whatever he's doing right now, hockey wise, yeah, uh, it's certainly working because, like I said, there there hasn't been a player I think that's been more consistent all year uh, than number eighty eight for the Blackhawks. 
You're around Joel Quinville all the time, and yep. look, Babcock has done a great job in Toronto, and uh, I'm a little more of a believer. When he signed that contract as a fan, I'm like, holy crap. Sure. But you know what? The guy's for real. But uh, And also, too, picked to, to coach Team Canada at the World Cup uh-huh. and everything else. But um, Quinville, second all-time in wins, more than Babcock, yep. by the way, uh, more cups than Babcock. Uh, yep. What is it? And you were a former coach, so you know, and plus a, a top player in the league. What is it about this guy? How much of a percent does he deserve for the success of the Blackhawks? What's his strengths out there? And maybe should we be talking more about him? Yeah, well, I don't think there's any doubt. Like I, I mean, most people thought it was a slam dunk that that Mike Babcock was going to be the coach mm-hmm. for Canada. Yep. Uh, I wasn't so apt to think it was a slam dunk because you got a guy that's won three Stanley Cups and has been able to push a lot of the right buttons with some of the elite players in the National Hockey League. But look, Mike has a great relationship with Hockey Canada and has had, you know, very good success in the National Hockey League. But at the end of the day. Uh, you know, you're talking about Joel Quinville. I mean, I, I think he's a player's coach without question. Like, mm-hmm. I, I I said this before, Steve. Like, I, I really – like, Joel Quinville's one of those guys I wish I would have had the opportunity mm-hmm. to play for. Now, full disclosure, he's a horse guy like me. Nah. So, I, I, got a, I got a soft spot in my heart for a guy like there Joel Quinville right. right off the bat. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, like, I just – I really believe is that he, he looks at players and knows what they can do and uh, doesn't emphasize and stress what they can't do. And, look, he's going to play. He's going to do things his way. Uh, you got to have conviction, and he has a lot of that. And uh, he really, you know, he's told me many a times that, you know, sometimes the, you know, the greatest teaching for him and the, the way that he learned is when he was going through tough times and mm-hmm. when the losses were happening is that's where it really, it really helped him to become a better coach. Right. And, you know, he was a longtime player in the NHL and then was a player coach for a period of time in the American Hockey League and right. then an assistant coach. And, you know, he won a Stanley Cup with the Avalanche as an assistant. And then, you know, he got the opportunity to be a head coach in St. Louis. And then he went back to Colorado. And, you know, look, I mean, Joel had some success uh, in the playoffs, but not a lot before he got to Chicago. So I think it goes hand in hand. Um Mm-hmm. with a guy like Joel Quinville, and the timing couldn't have been more perfect for him. This team, the Blackhawks, were on the come in the late 2000s, and next thing you know, you know, they're winning three cups. But I, I'll, I'll say this, like, I talk about a player's coach or whatever. Like, I think that he, I think he really understands uh, the team. I think he really understands uh, the mindset of the players, and he lets the players kind of police themselves and govern the room. And mm-hmm. he's a he's a he's he's a real and you and you need to have cachet to do this, and you need to have one before. But like most teams, Steve, is that if they lose three or four in a row, their power plays zero for fifty or zero for the month. Uh-huh. Coaches are practicing. Coaches are you know, and yeah, Joel yeah. Quinville's. If he tells the guys they're going to have a day off, they're going to have a day off. If he, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he, yeah, I think yeah. he understands how important resting the body is, regardless if they're winning or losing. And look, he, coaches can do that if you have that cachet, right? Like, there's probably a handful right. of coaches that can do that. Joel is certainly one of them, because if you had a young coach that's a team has won 5-1 and one in the last seven games and is 0-20 for 20 on the power play, the general manager is probably up yeah. your ass and probably sure. telling you to practice and whatever, but a guy like Joel Quinville can say, hey, you know what? No, mm-hmm. I'm not, and we're going to get through it, and you know, three Stanley Cups allow you to do that. So and I know there's a lot there, but I just think that he understands his players. 
He's a player's coach. He has a conviction about him. He's going to do it his way. And, uh, you know, he's had incredible success, and we'll go to the Hockey Hall of Fame. And one last thing on Joel is that people don't realize this, is that with winning three Stanley Cups, he won three Stanley Cups with three different coaching staffs in a short period of time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like when you win uh, in a National Hockey League, I mean, very, very rarely there's turnover when yeah. it comes to the coaches. Very rarely. Uh, he's won with three three completely different coaching staffs in his three cups, and I think that speaks to the leadership and the greatness of Joe Quinville. He was a good player, but you probably have some stories or video out there of you walking around him. Do you remind him of that? Or do you, what is your memory? What are your memories of Joel as a player? He's a hard-nosed defenseman. Ferraro has an incredible story where he scores on his own net. Um, yeah. But um, you must have some uh, some battles with him, huh? Oh yeah, back in the day. I mean, yeah. you know, Joel. Like I said, Joel at that time was an elder skatesman mm-hmm. when I was, uh, you know, when I was breaking into the league. But you know, I mean, very well respected. Uh, you know, guys that I, uh, you know, have become very friendly with over the years and, and guys that played with Joel Quinville just tell me stories. And, I mean, obviously Ray, one of them, and, you know, Ronnie Francis, one of my best friends, uh, now the general manager at the Carolina Hurricanes. That, mm-hmm. You know, just talking about Joel and just how he was. And, sure. You know, I mean, he's just, you know, I mean, he's he's a, you know, you think about old-time hockey. I mean, Joel Quinville certainly, uh, you know, certainly fits that bill and, you know, whether it's uh, with a cigar coming out of the mouth or a racing form mm-hmm. coming out of the back pocket. <laughs> I mean, he's a, you know, he's a real guy and uh, some great success. And, uh, you know, Joel was a, he was a defensive defenseman, no question. Yeah. By the he way, wasn't yeah. gonna score. he wasn't going to score a lot, but like, you know, I mean, yeah. that's, you know, he, he knew what his role was and, and uh, had a, a very, very good NHL uh, career as a defenseman. By the way, the Leafs had Quinville in their system. They had Mark Crawford also yeah, in their system. Right, and they ha- right. and Panarin turned them down for a contract. So, yeah, that's right, great. Right. Uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, hey, do you change your style if you're working a Hawks game um, locally versus the NBC game? Are you doing a national game? Do you change anything? The only well, I mean, it's two different shows, right? right? Because one is you're catering to the local show. You're catering to probably ninety, you know, what ninety eight, ninety nine percent of the people watching are Blackhawk fans, and mm-hmm. it's Blackhawk based. And you're using nicknames a lot more on okay. the local show than yep. you would be on a national show. And then on a national show, um, it's a three man booth with with uh, with Doc Emmerich and Pierre Maguire and. Uh, it's, you know, a lot less nicknames and a lot less shtick and Doc's doing the majority of the promos and yep. whatever. So I mean for me I, I think I I think I call the game the same. Uh it just you know, it just is obviously centered much differently from local to national right. and uh uh but I'm I feel like a lucky guy that I'm uh, get a chance to sit in those chairs for 125 games a night or 125 nights a year where uh, I'm doing, you know, National Hockey League right. games and, and working with the very best. and uh, But not, I I don't think that uh, how I call the game regardless. Look, if a, if a Blackhawk player takes a bad penalty, a bad penalty, it's on yeah. both shows, it's a bad penalty. If it's a great goal or whatever, it's, you know, so I – the only difference would be is you know knowing who you're you know who the demographic is and who you're yep. catering to and and uh, and you go from there. Yeah, I think you're I think you're one of the better guys out there. As a, one of my pet peeves is uh, watching some American-based uh, networks and the the 
the bias calling and you're I just it drives me nuts, Eddie. Um, yeah. I get it. You're paid by the team. You know, you, you can't. I get it. I get all that. But man, there are some local broadcast teams that you're just you, you, I can't even watch. I'm like, come on, guys. But yeah, uh, yeah I think you, you straddle a fine line there. You're a hockey guy. And, you know, it's it's you understand well, the game. Yeah, a little I mean, bit I think that, you know, I think, Steve, I think that there's that, you know, that 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 credibility that um, that you earn. I think there's that credibility of, hey, you know what? Yeah, you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, there's a there's a time and a place to to raise the pom poms and, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know uh, you know play the you know play the piper and, sure. and and everything else. But I think that most fans, and I'm just speaking as a sports fan, whether it's I'm a big Cubs fan and thinking that this could be right. the year. Sure. Um, you know what's another hundred years, I guess. <laughs> but I'm only 49, so yeah. I've only been around for half of it. But I, you know, look. I, I want my I want my announcers to say, look. You know what? If the guy makes a bad play, mm-hmm. can't sit there and you know and say, well, geez, you know, look like he had some dirt in his eye or the you know <laughs> the, the you know you know. Yeah. I mean, enough with the excuses. So look, there, and and I think that that's that's what I want as a fan, and and I try to do that on the local shows hey sometimes you know a guy makes a really good play and you sit there and you you know then toot the horn for a while but sure, yeah the guy gives up a bad goal or it's a bad penalty and look some fans may not like that but i think for the majority of fans that are tuning in regardless is that everybody's got an opinion and you're going to express it may not be right i mean you don't have to agree with it which mm-hmm. is fine yeah. but i think that there there is that fine line of being way overboard and only seeing it one way and mm-hmm. and, and, and whatever is best for the team uh but i mean with the blackhawks anyways is looking i mean they you know they tell us that we have a job to do and yeah uh, i'm a big believer is look if a guy makes a mistake you call it out and then you move on right. uh you can't sit there and keep you know keep you know, hammering on it and whatever. But if a guy makes a really good play, there comes a point. Okay, enough. You know, we we yeah. we get it and uh, and we go from there. So uh, you know, it's it's all a part of uh, evolving as a broadcaster and uh, and trying to just you know do what you do best. And uh, some people are going to like it, some aren't, and that's okay. And mm-hmm. uh, you got a job to do each and every day. Uh, I believe. Quenville's contract's up, right? At the end of this year. Uh, he just he just signed an extension. Oh, he did. Okay, so, all right. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say there was rumors of some some uh, discontent, uh, coaching staff turnovers between him and Stan Bowman. I was going to ask you if you thought he stayed, but okay, so he's going to stay. Yeah, no, yeah. no, he's uh, he's locked up. Um, yeah, he's not going anywhere for. Don't quote me, but I yeah, think yeah. I saw nineteen twenty. I think. Is oh wow. Time. Okay. Hey, let's talk 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 on your career here on the Paul Pocky Podcast. Eddie Olchuk uh, joining me now. Your coaching career. I'll talk about that. Um, you would have been a lot more successful in Pittsburgh had you got Mario to play more than ten games. But <laughs> what was it like um, coaching him? Uh, yeah. Did you ever tell him anything? <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, well, I, I will say this: is that I I, I would have loved to had. I would have loved to have had the opportunity to play Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah, um, but I wasn't allowed to have him because of financial restraints and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But that's you know probably for another day. Uh, I would have liked to take my chances with the flower, but that didn't happen. So um, look, I, I mean to to have been the first National Hockey League coach to have a player owner sitting in front of him for right. a period of time was uh, was Weird. was pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean yeah. I mean it was it, yeah. it was incredible. 
I've known Mario for a long time. We were drafted the same year in 1984. He was drafted first. I was drafted third. Um, I play with Mario as a player. Uh, I called his games as a member of the Penguin mm-hmm. broadcast when he came back in 2000. And, uh, and then, you know, all of a sudden he, you know, he's back playing again and, sure. you know, he's coming back and playing with Sidney Crosby and, and going from there. So, I mean, look, I, there's, I mean, that whole time when I was coaching in Pittsburgh was an incredible experience. Uh, actually, when I went in for the interview to get into coaching, I went in to, uh, interview for the American Hockey League job in Wolfsbury, Scranton. Okay. And yeah, because you hadn't had any coaching experience, no, right? Right. No, yeah. no. I mean, I you know I coached uh, some midget hockey and whatever, but yeah, I had yeah. not you know no coaching like that. And uh, after the first interview, I came back in and was asked, "Well, would you be interested in coaching? You know, coaching <laughs> a big club?" And you know, look, like it happens. It's happened in the National Hockey League. It happens in basketball. It happens in Major League Baseball. Um, you know, we've had managers in baseball, we've had uh, general managers in hockey, we've had coaches in hockey do the same thing. So it was an incredible opportunity. Like I said, I, it was, you know, the timing yeah. was, was what it was, uh-huh. uh, but to be a, you know, to be a part of, of, of that experience. And, uh, it was, it was something I'll never forget. And I really believe it helped me as a hockey guy sure, and as yeah. a broadcaster. And, uh, you know, to say that, you know, I had a chance to, to coach Mario Lemieux and Sidney Crosby and, Sydney, yeah. and, yep. and uh, Mark Andre Fleury, uh, something I'm very proud of, and so, uh, it was uh, it was a, it was just a great experience. So when you got let go, yeah. did you think about like you never got back into coaching? Were you scarred yeah. for life and just like I'm I'm going back to the booth, or did you yeah. try to do more coaching, or did you just uh, say, hey, I'm, I, I, I like mean, I've had me. I've had a handful of opportunities to go back. Yeah, yeah. Um. Just like at all at all levels at all mm-hmm. levels uh, assistant uh, assistant jobs in the National Hockey League uh, head jobs below the National Hockey mm-hmm. League at a lot of different levels but I think timing wise with where my kids were growing up sure. and you know family and and my wife's input I think that the timing was just never really the right time and you know it's been a long time but you know I think for what I'm doing now. Uh, I'm at peace at where I am, mm-hmm. uh, and I get you know I get this question quite a bit, and you know you never say never. Right. Um, I know where my wife stands on whether or not she <laughs> wants me to get back in the coaching part of it, but right. uh, you know it's I, I I miss it without question. Uh, I'm disappointed on how it played out in the Berg. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand how it is, and uh, that's the way that the puck bounces every once in a while. But, um, you know, look, if, yeah. if I don't get back in the hockey in that aspect of it, whether it's coaching or management 10 or 15 years down the road, we all live this way, I think, Steve. Is, I mean, will I look back and go, geez, I, I, you know, I wonder what would have happened or I wish right. I would have went and took that job. Yeah, probably, because I think that's just, you know, that's just being human. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love what I'm doing. I've got an incredible opportunity to work for the the Blackhawks TV, you know, broadcast team, and then and obviously doing my stuff with NBC Hockey and horse racing. So I'm I'm in a pretty good place, and uh, I'm I'm really content and happy. And mm-hmm. uh, but I do miss I do miss being uh, a part of it of the team, the teaching, uh, and you know, being on the ice every single day. I guess I can relate it to a little bit like this. I was a mechanic on a top racing team working with, you know, millionaire dirt bike racers. And I did that for 15 years before becoming a media guy in that sport. Now, mm-hmm. I love the media guy, the job I do now covering it. But I'll tell you what, the, the 
and I don't miss the roller coaster ups and downs, but the highs sure. are high. The lows are low, though. In my job now, it's like, eh, good race. I'm going to write about it. I'm going to talk yeah. to these athletes. But right. when you're in the grind, it is it is, uh, it is emotional. It is gut-wrenching sometimes. Sometimes you're on top of the world, right? It's just it's, – and I guess, too, the money probably is better, too, coaching, you know, being in, the, in that part. But Yeah, it, I mean, I, I think with that, Steve, too, is you're right. I mean, it, it is about, the, you know, being around with the winning and then fixing the losing or the tough times or, mm-hmm. you know, helping a young guy or, you know, you see guys going through tough times and – you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, once you're a part of it, I mean, it never leaves your blood. I mean, yeah. you know, you're right. You do your job, you go home, and then you, you know, you get ready for the next uh, the next show. You get ready for the next event. And yeah. That is the, uh, you know, that that is the, the thing you miss the most, like being inside that room and, and trying to, figure it out and and uh, whether it's a player or a coach or uh you know or mm-hmm. you know enjoy the accolades and how do you keep this you know how do you keep this thing going and and that's all part of being it but you know for me I'm still a part of a couple of teams when it comes to the broadcast side and the TV side and yep. uh you were I, I'm lucky enough to work with some incredible people very talented and help me and and help put the games on TV and, and, you know, and sell both, you know, the mm-hmm. ho- both hockey and horse racing. And like I said, for me, there's, uh, there's not much better uh, than hockey and horse racing. And I get a chance to talk about it and, uh, and, and be in some of the most incredible venues we have in either sport. Being drafted third overall, you're an Illinois guy, Chicago guy, got drafted yeah. by Chicago. Um, you go there for three years, you have nice seasons, you're yeah. developing. And then I'm stoked because I'm a Maple Leaf fan. Yeah. But did you have any idea that trade was coming to the Leafs? I mean, you I, I remember thinking, like, what? We got Ed Olchuk? Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Uh, uh, and I just did one of these with Al Secord last week, um, and he spoke a little bit about it. He knew he was getting traded. He was kind of going through some stuff off the ice, he said, and he knew that was coming. It was near the end for him. But you, any idea? Uh, I really didn't. Uh, it, uh, I was actually playing for Team USA in the uh, 87 Canada Cup. I was in a hotel in Hartford. Okay. And I got the call from Bob Pulford, our general manager, and uh, and said that we just uh, we just made a trade with you and Al are going to Toronto. And I was like, wow, I'm going to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, I mean, like there was a lot of pressure mm-hmm. playing at home. Uh, my first Otherwise, year was yeah. my yeah. first year was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my second year had a really, really good year. We lost out in the playoffs that year. And then the third year, I really had a tough time, uh, both on and off the ice. I lost a real close personal friend in a tragedy and I just could never, I just, it was a bad year. I just, I just, I didn't have a good year. And then we had a bad playoff and the team decided to make a move and it probably ended up being the best thing that ever happened to me as a hockey player, because I think all the pressure that I had at home and feeling like I had 32,000 eyeballs on Eddie Olchek each and every night I played at home, uh, was a lot. And I tried to carry the torch for, you know, Chicago kids and American born players. And you know, I think the pressure just ended up getting to me that third year and the team decided to make a move and the pressure of going to Toronto and, Playing for the Maple Leafs, uh, I really relished in that because it was twenty four seven, three sixty five as a you know to to be a member sure. of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and uh, you know I think my production and my number certainly bared that out when I was in Toronto for the three and a half years. So uh, I didn't see the trade coming. 
uh, I was obviously very disappointed. I mean, I would never trade in those three years for anything in my life right. to play for my hometown team because that's I grew up a Blackhawk fan, and all I ever wanted to do was play for the Blackhawks, and I got that chance, and I went full circle. I started there, and I ended there with a lot of great stops yeah. in between, but that trade to Toronto, uh, I think, really helped me become – uh, become a you know become a pretty productive player, consistent player uh, over the course of my uh, NHL career. I got to thank you, Eddie, because as a, as a Maple Leaf fan, you were responsible for obviously the Gilmore years and all that were coming, and, and that, those were great. But sure. the Leafs had sucked so bad for so many years. <laughs> but that eighty nine ninety team, Doug Carpenter yeah. as a coach. You guys scored 800 goals. You let in 800 goals. Um, but it was a 500 team. And people don't understand, as, as a Leaf fan, like 500 was like winning a cup. That was a really fun team to watch, and you were one of the leaders. It was a, it was a nice year. Yeah, it was. Uh, you're right. I mean, there's a pretty good chance the over-under was probably going to be about 11 or 12 in that game. And right, that was just, yeah. you know, yeah, we – you know, we may get seven, but uh, we might give up eight. I mean, yeah. that was just, you know, the type of team that we had. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, playing with a guy like Gary Lehman and Mark Osborne, my two line mates, and, you know, we had Vinny Damfus and uh, Danny Marawa. Oh, and yeah. Had Al, Al Afrady on the back end. And, I mean, you know, we had you know, we had Freacher and Inichek. I mean, you know, we had some really good offensive players. Yeah. I mean, we could get up and down the ice and – uh, you know, Wendell was there. I mean, so, I mean, we, there was, uh, I mean, we really couldn't defend a whole heck of a lot, but <laughs> if we had the puck, we had a pretty good chance of putting yeah. the puck in the back of the net. So, uh, that was, uh, it was, was uh, just an incredible it was time fun. and an incredible run for sure. It was fun to watch, uh, as a fan. Yeah. Like I said, it, it was, was entertaining, it, right? It was, it was entertaining. It was nowadays. The coach would be fired uh, 10 games in if that happened in, in 2016, but yeah, um, right. Exactly. Uh, how weird was Ally Afraidy? Well, I mean, I played with him on the Olympic team in 84. Okay. So, I had a, so you knew I had Al. A, <laughs> I, yeah, I had a, uh, I had a pretty good, uh, a pretty good understanding of big Al. I mean, I played against him as a, you know, growing up in okay. Chicago and, and he was Detroit know, minor right? hockey yeah. here. Yeah. So we'd yeah. go to Detroit and play against Al and all the teams that he played on, <laughs> you know, over the years. But, uh, you know, yeah, Al uh, was, uh, you know, he's a little bit of a different cat, but I mean, he had, you talk about incredible right? skill and yeah. incredible physique and just, you know, I mean, he was, you know, I mean, he was a man at, you know, he was a man at 17. I mean, we played on the Olympic team Mm -hmm. together, and I mean, I was 17 and Al was 18, and we roomed together, and, you know, I mean, he he knew he was going to play in the National Hockey League. Now, I mean, I think that, you know, for him, expectations early, and, you know, I mean, I even mentioned Al in in Toronto when we were there that year as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we, you know, like we, you know, I think for him, uh, you know, he was, he was one of the bigger guys that played in the National Hockey League, especially on the back end, uh, and could skate like forever. Like I mean, mm-hmm. you just you know, you go on the Rideau Cal uh, in, in Rito there in, in Ottawa, the canal there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just keeps skating for miles and miles. And I mean, he just I mean, he just had the long legs, and uh, it was just uh, was real fun to play with him. And yeah, I mean, he was a little out there. I mean, he, you know, everybody's I know, know, out there a little bit, but uh, yeah, the stories are fun, uh, fun to be with him. Yeah, uh, you got traded to Winnipeg, and I'll, I want to talk to you quickly uh, before we wrap this up about the Cup and Rangers and all that. But the Winnipeg era, traded to Winnipeg from uh, from Toronto, and then you got traded back to Winnipeg, and you were on mm-hmm. the team that you know left uh, the Winnipeg Arena, yeah. lost the series to Detroit in six. It was very emotional. 
Now, I always thought, uh, born and raised in Winnipeg, you're this American uh, hockey star. Um, You won a cup with the Rangers before you went back. I would always think my perception of you, Eddie, would be, this guy thinks Winnipeg is podunk, and we were kind of, you know what I mean? We're a budget team and, and, and all that kind of stuff. We, I mean, the city. But you loved it, and I always thought, I always appreciated that. And, and again, I've heard you reference Winnipeg, you know, without anything to do with Winnipeg. You're not on Winnipeg radio, and you're talking to some other countries or other some other cities' radio, and you're, yeah. you're popping up Winnipeg. Like, you yeah. loved it. I think that's yeah. cool. Yeah, well, thanks, Steve. I mean, I really did love Winnipeg. I mean, I you know, I spent... Well, look, I mean, I spent, what, three and a half years in Toronto and almost six years in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. So do the math of my 16 years. I mean, I spent more than half of my career yeah. in Canada. And, I mean, I just loved I mean, I just enjoyed everything about Winnipeg. I mean, the people, uh, the commute, uh, you know, playing for the Winnipeg Jets, the old arena. You know, I mean, yeah. I had an incredible coach in John Paddock. Uh, it just, you know, I, be, I became entrenched in the community, you know, whether it was the hockey season or not. And, you know, yeah, it got a little chilly there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a little <laughs> cold and yeah, the taxes suck, but I mean, I, you know, yeah, like yeah. I, I just, I love being in, I love being in a peg and I, and I love being a member of the Winnipeg Jets and representing, you know, the team and the city and the province. And, uh, you know, I, like- I just. It was, it was um, just, it was, it felt, it just felt, it felt like home. Like it really yeah, yeah. did. Like it just, it was, I think that's really cool. Feel important. You know, you're the big fish in a small pond and yeah. uh, it was very, I mean, it, it was, I mean, it was really a tough time there when the team was leaving. Like I could never imagine, I talk about this uh, quite a bit, but I, I could never imagine as a young sports fan or a hockey fan that my team was leaving my, right, my, right. my town. Like I, I, yeah. I like I really, like that really, really bothered me that we were yeah. like the team was leaving. And look, and it was business, and we understand. Like as players, we had nothing to do with it. It would just that's the way that it goes. But like I really, it really emotionally, it it took me a while <laughs> to to really uh, you know I don't say get over it, but just to understand that yeah you know life's going to go on, and at some point, and I always said you know I hope the National Hockey League comes back to the peg, and I always felt that it would. I didn't think it would take, you know, 15 years or whatever, but I, you know, I, it was just, uh, it, it was a, it was a great place to be, uh, great memories, uh, a lot of friends still there. And I always I, enjoy going back to the peg uh, anytime uh, I get that opportunity to to work a National Hockey League game. It was cool because I can vouch. I saw you on local news. I saw you in the paper when the team was leaving. You did seem very upset, and mm-hmm. and for a long time, guys like you, stars of the game did not mm-hmm. want to play in Winnipeg. Um, yeah. I don't want to get traded. I don't want to be in Winnipeg. It's on yeah, my no-trade right. list, blah, blah, blah. And I always thought, here's this American dude, uh, yeah. highly touted, a good player, and he, yeah. he loves it. I just thought well, it was cool. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's, I, I appreciate that, Steve. Like I did. I, I, mm-hmm. Like I said, I, I, I meant everything that I said when I was in Winnipeg. And look, I, and there's no doubt in my mind because I've been – I was uh, divulged some information after the fact is that when the team left Winnipeg and all the things that I was saying and and Mm -hmm. being honest and talking about the peg and when the team wins the Stanley Cup, it was coming back to Winnipeg and all that stuff, uh, that didn't sit too kindly with the new ownership group in, oh, in really? Arizona, oh, I and, didn't know that. Okay. and they didn't and they didn't sign me as a they didn't sign me as a free agent, and the rest is history. Oh, I so, didn't know that. You know, okay. which, yeah, which yeah. hey, I understand that that's fine. I mean, it had nothing to do with Arizona. It's not right. like you know, uh, 
you know, I can't believe the team's going to Arizona and how can you do this to people in Winnipeg? It was just like, look, it was sincere. Mm-hmm. It was from the heart. And if it rubs somebody the wrong way, well, mm-hmm. um, that's that's the way that it goes. And I would say it again tomorrow and the next day. And uh, it was a, a great chapter, not only in my life, but in my family's life as well. Yeah. I mean, our, you know, we had a couple of young kids at that particular time. Well, I actually had, we had three the second time around. We only had two the first time around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, going to the arena and uh you know i always remember walking into the arena steve and you know we'd we'd be there we'd get in for practice in the morning and and next thing you know we'd come out of our dressing room and you know maybe you were one of those young kids there at that time but i there was maybe like three four hundred kids after practice inside the arena yeah waiting for us to sign autographs and then we'd get on get into our car that was parked across the street by the way yeah yeah because we weren't we weren't allowed to park next to the building because winnipeg enterprises and the team <laughs> didn't get along but that's another story <laughs> i didn't know that uh, yeah didn't know and then that. I'd, and i'd walk by the security guard carl who was a uh, was a uh, was a German fellow and probably would have been pretty good uh, casted on Hogan's Heroes and Car- I say Carl, how did all these people get in for practice? And he look at me and he go Eddie, I know nothing, I know nothing. And, oh, yeah. and then and then you know, but I mean every like I said every day like mm-hmm. I mean it was just like it just felt. You know, it felt like home. I mean, it did. It, I mean, it. It felt a lot like me playing at home as a member of the Blackhawks right. for the five oh, years cool. that I played for the Hawks. But Winnipeg was uh, was an incredible place, and uh, I, I I always look forward to going back. I was one of those kids downstairs before the steps. You know, the steps right there that lead up to the yeah. to the thing. Yeah. I was one of those kids down there yeah. at different times. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did it feel good? Like, okay, so you win the cup with the Rangers. Yeah. You had a couple of bad years. I understand you battled with Keenan like everyone else. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You got into one playoff game the year yeah. that they won, but you were – I saw something from Messi one time that talked about the black aces, that you were mm-hmm. an integral part of those guys. Mm-hmm. A, did it matter to you that you only got into one game? And B, how good did it feel to kind of reestablish your career after yeah. Keenan as yeah. you're like, hey, I can still play this game? And you scored 27 yeah. goals, you scored 21 goals. You know, like you were you were thought of as maybe by Keenan a little bit as done, um, and he kind of yeah. kept you out of the games. But a yeah. nice a nice ending there. Yeah. Well, the, fu- the funny thing is about that, like if you look at before I went to, to New York, like – if you go back from 87 to 92 in the National Hockey League, there were only seven players in the National Hockey League from 87 to 92 that scored 30 or more goals for those five straight seasons. Now, it's not one or two seasons, mm-hmm. not three, yeah. but five seasons. So yeah. I was one of those seven guys. And, oh, by the way, the other six guys' names are – Gretzky, Lemieux, Hall, Gartner, Robotai, Iserman. Okay, right? yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, like that—that's pretty, pretty salty company. And out of anything that I did individually in my career, whether it is currently uh, sharing the Maple Leafs all-time scoring streak record with the great Daryl Sittler and Phil mm-hmm. Kessel at 18 games, or scoring a first, my first goal in in, in my very first game of the National Hockey, like that five-year stretch, yeah. The names that did that, and I was one of the seven guys. Like to me, like that is something that I am most proud of because of the consistency that I played on. Now, when I went to New York, uh, it wasn't a great experience uh, playing wise. Uh, Mike Keenan saw me as one player, uh, a certain player, and didn't matter what I did, I wasn't going to play. And yeah. my role was to be a leader, 
to be a good guy, make the guys laugh every once in a while, mm-hmm. and to lead our team stretch. Like, that was my role <laughs> the year we won the Stanley Cup in 94. Was I disappointed? Absolutely, without right. question. Um, you know, but the one game I did get in, uh, we're playing the New Jersey Devils game six. We're down 3-2 three, two, three, two in the Eastern Conference final. And <clears throat> Keenan comes up to me in the morning and says, uh, you know, I hadn't played in almost two or three months now. <laughs> Jeez, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, uh, we need you. And I said, okay. He says, uh, the guys trust you. I trust you. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a, we got a couple of injuries. He says, uh, you're going to play tonight and, uh, you know, we, we, mm-hmm. you're going to do the job. And then he looks at me and I'm by the stick rack in New Jersey at the old Brendan Byrne Arena. Now, this is the morning skate at about 1030 in the morning. And he looks at me and goes, uh, what was your what was your best year scoring goals? <laughs> and I could just, see where Mike was going. And yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, he had that typical smug asshole look on his face. And you're like, I scored almost forty. I scored over forty, bro. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, I had forty two goals in Toronto one year. And he said, you scored forty two goals one year. And I said. <laughs> Yeah, Mike. I said I actually scored thirty plus goals for five straight seasons five until I got here. I said if you, I, if I would have known that, I would have got you a media guide, and maybe I might have played a little bit more. And he goes, "You're playing." Like he looked at me like 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 he I, he knew for sure, but yeah. you know he was. I think he was trying to jack me up and and whatever. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. it wasn't you know I was jacked up because I was going to play, but. You know, I was going to, you know, I was just like, okay. So, long story short, I played that night. That was a game that Mark Mancier predicted that mm-hmm. we would win. And if it wasn't for Mike Richter, uh, let me emphasize this uh, a couple yeah. of times. If it wasn't for Mike Richter in that game, it would have been 5-1 to one headed to the third period instead of 2-1 to one mm-hmm. for the Devils. He was absolutely incredible. Maybe, maybe. One of the greatest goaltending performances I've ever seen was in that game six. He just really? he kept huh? us yeah, in the yeah. game. Uh, Kovalev scored a huge goal to make it 2-1 in the second period, and then Mess took over in the third and had a hat trick in the third period. And yeah. we went we went back home, and uh, the rest is history. So uh, for me, uh, you know, yeah, would I've loved to play more? Absolutely. But I think I I thought I knew what it took to win, Steve actually did it in New York, even though my role was very, very small. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my teammates recognized me as the player's player that year, even though I only played 36 or 37 regular season games in one yeah. regular one playoff game, they recognized me as the player's player. And to win it on a team that won a Stanley Cup with the likes of the guys that were on that roster, uh, something I'm very proud of. Yeah, I've I've heard Healy, Kiprios, Messier over the years give you credit. You know that you yeah. were you were a glue guy, and then it was almost like the gang against Keenan. And of course, he wins the cup, and he can't even he's gone the next year. And yeah, yeah. Well, look, yeah. I mean, here's all you need to know about Mike Keenan. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that we won in spite of him. Right. Right. Uh, he he did. A, I mean, look, he pushed a lot of the right buttons without question. His mm-hmm. practices were incredible. Uh, he knew when guys were playing well, but. During the Stanley Cup final, Mike Keenan was negotiating with the Detroit Red yes, yes, to become their coach the next year. And he looked us, he looked at us and told us that it's not it's not true. It's not true because it became public. Yeah, it's yeah. not true. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And now if that was one of us that was negotiating to oh, go play somewhere else, you would have had no chance of being anywhere near the facility. You would, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like to me, yeah. like he really showed who he was and what he was all about at the end of the day when we were trying to win a Stanley Cup in 1994, 
to me, I thought that was just uh, one of the one of the more disappointing and selfish things that I've seen over the course of my yeah. however many years I've been involved in the National Hockey League since 1984, and uh, I've seen a lot. But that to <laughs> me was one of those where you just shake your head and go, "Is this? Is that really what he was doing? And is that really what happened?" Yes. And look. And Detroit ended up backing out of the deal, yeah, and then yeah, he yeah. ended up going to St. Louis the next year, and yeah. you know the rest is history. But um, you know, hey, wow. it's the way it was, and uh, it was a great experience, even though it was tough individually. And I'm um, so proud oh. to have my name on the Stanley Cup. No doubt. Well, Eddie Olchuk, uh, thank you for taking the time for doing this. I know I kept you a little long. I appreciate it. Um, thanks for the stories, everything else, uh, and congrats on the success. And I still don't understand horse racing, but it's awesome that you love it. And uh, thanks uh, thanks for doing the Paul Pocky Podcast. Well, no problem, Steve. And if, I'm, uh, if you're ever available when I'm out in Las Vegas at the beautiful Red Rock Resort Casino oh. and Hotel, I uh, spend a lot of time there. My buddy Jason McCormick runs a racing oh. sports book there. He's a Chicago guy. Um, I make all my bets there. there. So I if, make, if, you ever, if you ever need a, uh, an hour of uh, handicapping uh, 101 <laughs> and I'm out there, uh, I'd love to meet you in person and I, uh, uh, look, forward to, uh, look forward to meeting you soon. Cool. I live 10 minutes from there. That's where I go and place my bets, my NFL bets. Well, so that'll work. You, t- you, tell, you tell Jason McCormick you're a friend of mine, and also I'd like to say thanks to Ray Ferraro for, uh, yeah. for connecting us, and I appreciate you having me today. Great. Thanks, Eddie. Okay, thanks. Thank you.